have a seat. And however you prefer, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of 1 John as we continue our series. If you haven't been with us before, uh, we are in the, well, getting close to the end of a series we're calling 2020, uh, where we're looking for good spiritual vision. And uh, we started in Genesis, and we're going all the way to Revelation, just looking for the gospel and now how it affects our lives. Um, man, the, the, the life change. And so we saw last week, we were in 1 John, uh, this son of thunder is now an elder of thunder. And he loves these believers that he's writing to. And remember, John writes circular. Uh, he mentions the topic, and then he moves on to something else, and then he'll come back around to those topics. Uh, we saw one purpose of the book last week is found in chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, he, he writes, uh, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. That word full is a word that means filled to the brim. And so John lets us know we find this kind of joy when we find life in Christ, who is the Word of God revealed, that, that, that revealed a side of God that we had never seen before. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate display of God's love, uh, loving us when we were unlovable, pursuing us when we rebelled, accepting us when we repent. And so Jesus adds more layers to the God that we see in the Old Testament. And church, um, I believe that we are barely scratching the surface of who God is. And really, that's probably one thing that we will never quite come to terms with, how big and magnificent and just um, indescribably complicated our God is. That's the kind of God that I want to worship. That's the one true God that we sang about this morning. That's the kind of God that I want to live my life for. Not the things of this world, uh, not riches that are fleeting, but the one true God. And there is only one. First John 5.13, um, it, it, it asks a, a question that we looked at last week. Do you know him? Uh, chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John gives several pieces of evidence that we should find in our lives. Uh, and remember, he uses the phrase, born of God. Uh, 1 John two twenty nine. everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. It's a phrase that means, uh, does not make a practice of sin. For Jesus' seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Uh, Jesus would later call, uh, earlier called us to live lives of purity in Matthew 5. And so we see that we cannot say we know Jesus, but then blatantly go back and live a life of sin without remorse, without repentance, with no change. The question we looked at last week, is your life characterized by righteousness? Uh, the second evidence that we saw is love. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, uh, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And so we are instructed to love one another, but we're also instructed not to love, in chapter 2, verse 15, the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So remember that definition of world. A word defined as the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce away from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. So what comes to mind when, when you hear that definition? 
the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce away from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. There, there is a definite pull from the world in our hearts sometimes, isn't there? Uh, riches are alluring. More is enticing. Pleasure looks inviting, but the truth is riches are hollow. More is never enough, and pleasures are fleeting. And one day all of our busyness and efforts to acquire all this stuff, it's going to amount to nothing. And so admitting that our, our, our love sometimes shifts to these things is the first step towards repentance and forgiveness. We can't change it on our own. Only through Christ. Only Christ in us. And, and, and that should be, that's where our love lies. That's why evidence, that love is evidence of knowing Him. The third evidence we saw last week is faith. 1 John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Remember the testimony from Miss Lori last week. And we can testify on our own. Faith brings victory. There is victory in Jesus. But Satan wants to keep you a victim. Now we can acknowledge some among us here have every right to be a victim. Because that's exactly what you are. But even in that, you don't have to live in the the victim mindset. Jesus gives victory. And those victories come in different ways. The question that we have to ask ourselves, do we experience victories in our faith? Or do we constantly live defeated, beaten, and overcome? These are tough questions that we can only answer for ourselves. But the important thing is to ask them and search what God is saying to our hearts. Victory, faith, love, and the practice of righteousness are all evidence of knowing Him. 1 John 5.12 He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Today we look at all three letters from John through a different lens. Because as a, as a pattern has been in the New Testament, when Jesus gets a hold of a people, they start to meet together. And a, a church is born And it doesn't take much time for the enemy to come in and sow seeds of dissension among them. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy what the gospel has built. Many times that's what he wants the most, to destroy, to kill, to steal what the gospel has built. And we see many times he uses internal people who trust worldly wisdom to come in and try to undo what God is doing. And so this was another main purpose of John's letter. 1 John 2.26 is where we start this morning. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Concerning those who try to deceive you. If we back up a few verses, we see what these things are. Uh, in these verses, John uses the term antichrist for the first time in the word. Actually, uh, Antichrist is only used in First and Second John. And it, when you hear that, if, if you're like me, you, you kind of question if that's, that's true or not. Uh, you can check it yourself. Go to the search bar in your Bible app and search Antichrist. He appears in Revelation, but by a different name. So anti, meaning against Christ. Uh, Strong's Concordance defines the Antichrist as the most pestilent adversary of Jesus the Messiah. The epitome of everything Satan is. Anything Jesus is for, the Antichrist is against. He is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They are one and the same. 
As Christians, most agree that the Antichrist will appear in the last days. And depending upon your views, uh, sometime in the, in the timeline of, of when the world comes to an end and when Jesus returns, the Antichrist will appear. But according to John, there is more to it. Antichrist is already among us. 1 John 2, 18 through 23. Uh, little children, he writes, it is the last hour. That term, last hour, it's a phrase used to describe the time bet- between Jesus' first coming and second coming. So, we're there. It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they may, might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now this brings up an interesting topic. Um, apparently these Antichrists were once a part of the church but have since left. So the question is, uh, does verse 19 imply that all those who leave the church are antichrists? Look at, it, look at it again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So does this imply that anybody who leaves the church is, or, is an antichrist? Well, not necessarily. Um, because just because we come to church doesn't mean that we are Christians. Uh, so if we're not Christians, then we are against Christ. And so just because somebody leaves the church doesn't mean that they aren't true believers. Uh, I know plenty of people who would, would love to be here, but are not able to anymore for various reasons. And then you throw in a pandemic, and that just adds a whole other dimension. It really does depend on why a person leaves. If it's because they lost faith, then they never had faith to begin with. If gathering together as a church uh, family, it, it loses priority in my life, it's because something else has taken priority. And that's, that's not a good place to be. Many times quitting church is a reflection of the heart that has become enamored with, with something else, walking away from a, a very weak faith or a, a faith that possibly was not there. there. There is a big difference between those, a weak faith and one that's not there. Those are two different things. And we have to evaluate our own hearts. But on the other hand, we don't come to church legalistically either because that's just as bad. And so John is using this term, Antichrist, to describe someone who considered the things of God and Jesus, but has since rejected them and now actually opposes them. The next blank on your outline. Anti-against Christ. Instead, they cling to lies and something else as God. Verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I mean, we think of examples who have claimed to be Christians, uh, but then a short time later they're, they're doing things completely opposite, or they just come right out and say it, I, I am not a Christian. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And church, there, but for the grace of God, go I. It's the parable of the four soils in the synoptic gospels. Some seed fell on the rocks. The the seed is the word of God. The seed is the gospel. Some seed fell on on the road. Some seed fell among the thorns. It didn't take root, even though at first they appeared to. And it's very possible that 
even here today, among us, there, there are some who claim to know Jesus that actually don't. And according to John, time will tell. <clears throat> it's the same question that we asked ourselves last week. Do I truly know Jesus? Because I can. And when we do, we can rest assured that our Heavenly Father protects us. He protects us. In the verses that follow, John lists a couple of things that, that protect believers from the Antichrist. <clears throat> Number one on your outline. We have protection through the Holy Spirit. We have protection through the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 20 says, uh, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. <clears throat> the anointing from the Holy Spirit, that's, that's what that's talking about. And it's not something that just Pentecostals get. It's not something that just pastors get. Uh, the moment that we trust Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within us. When we make that decision, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And no one can break that seal. John uh, 10.28 says that nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand. From the, from the Spirit's hand. The Holy Spirit's activity in our lives is evidence of knowing Jesus. He protects us from the enemy. Uh, that in, activity can include the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Uh, bringing the Word of God to light and understanding is the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives according to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and following. The Holy Spirit's activity in our lives includes those victories of faith that we've been talking about. And John 16, 13. His activity is guiding us to truth. John 14, 6 says that Jesus is the truth. And so the Holy Spirit is not working in the lives of people who are opposed to Jesus and the truth. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Number two on your outline. How, how are we protected through knowledge? We're protected through knowledge. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, the verse goes on to say uh, of the law. That's, that's the Word of God. <clears throat> How well do you know the Word of God? How well do you know your favorite song or movie? <laughs> that's a dirty question, isn't it? We, we know these things by heart, but then the Word of God, not so much. The Word of God is, is one of the only things in this world that will last forever. Do you know it better than you did two years ago? You get to know it through a steady diet of it. The Holy Spirit works in us to understand His Word and to cause it to speak to our hearts, even after we've read it a hundred times. That leads to n- number three. I t- said we come back to it. It is truth. We are protected through truth. Uh, 21, verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. <clears throat> so, uh, what is the opposite of truth? It's, it's lies, right? Deceit. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to separate the truth from, the, from lies, an alarm should go off in our hearts when, when something anti-Christ comes a, a, across our screen or across our ears. We should be able to hear that still small voice of God over all the lies that the enemy is throwing at us. 
And let me just say this, while there are many great resources out there for us to be listening to and taking in throughout the week, as we should, there are also a lot of false teachers out there. A lot of people get duped by the message they preach because it appeals to our flesh, but it actually has nothing to do with Jesus. If someone is preaching Jesus as a means of personal gain and faith in Him as a way to get whatever you want, that's false. That's deceiving. It's called the prosperity gospel, and it is not the gospel. We all like the idea of of being prosperous, but Jesus does not promise that. And so we we shouldn't listen to anyone uh, just because they make us feel good or because they're most popular. We should listen to them because the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts through them and is guiding us through what they're saying. Go ahead and turn over to 2 John. 2 John. This letter is written to the elect lady, it says, a a church in Ephesus. And, And conservative scholars agree uh, this is, the elect lady is the church. And so as the bride of Christ, that is us. <clears throat> and it's warning against deceivers. This is the shortest book in the Bible, but John tells us what we should do against these false teachers and these who would deceive. Second John 2, chapter, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you who does not bring this doctrine... Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Church, we have to to check our hearts. Have we let deceivers into our homes by what we watch or what we listen to, and thus sharing in them with evil, anti-Christ deeds? Notice that word abide twice there in verse 9. Whoever transgresses, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Abide, it means to, to dwell. I, I see it as uh, just taking up residence, moving in and taking up residence somewhere. And so we are to take up residence in the doctrine of Jesus, or the gospel. That God created us to be with Him, but our sins separate us from this holy God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. But paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in Him has eternal life. And that means being with God forever. That's where we are to live. That's what we are to continue to trust. That's where, that's where we are to take up residence Not adding anything to it. Not taking anything away from it. Do not share in the evil deeds of those who would change it. Now turn over to 3 John. Chapter 1 verse 8. It says this. We therefore ought to receive those who abide and promote the true gospel. Is who he's talking about. 
that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And so if you ever have any questions about any that you uh, would think about listening to, I would love to try to try to give you any thoughts on, on any, any teachers that you're listening to, because it really does matter. We ought to receive those who do abide and promote the true gospel. And church, we're blessed to be able to have all sorts of good, quality, solid resources to be able to listen to. As we begin to close, let's circle back to 1 John 1. 1 John chapter 1. <clears throat> The solution to staying on the straight and narrow path that God has for us is right here. The way to abide in Him is by walking in the light. Verse 5 says this, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, And walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So God is light. There is no darkness in Him. There is nothing in the dark for Him. It means that He's infinitely holy, completely righteous, absolutely morally pure so darkness is the absence of light and and when we we stray from obedience to god and step into darkness we begin to act in ways inconsistent with our our new nature in him and then we start avoiding light altogether even though he can still see us no matter how dark our hearts get When we don't allow God's light to shine in every area of our lives, rather than abiding in Christ, we abide in denial. But church, it was my sin that held him there. Just like we sang this morning. It was my sin that got Jesus beaten and crucified. It is my sin that separates me from a holy God. Sin breaks my fellowship with him. It is sin that has led to this broken world that we live in. It's it's because of sin that families are so messed up. It's because of sin that we experience loss and faith, excuse me, and, and death. And because of sin, we get so low. Sin deceives, sin blinds. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you there longer than you ever wanted to come, and cost you way more than you ever wanted to pay. Church, sin is a powerful thing. And our world condones it. Our world encourages it. And so let us not be in denial of the power of sin. And you can write this down. Let us not be in denial of the presence and practice of sin in our own lives. We have to confess it. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive deceive ourselves. Chapter 1, verse 8 says, The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, church, it's really easy for me to see sin in other people's lives. But do I see it and acknowledge it and confess it in my own? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin.
as we go into a time of invitation, would you just, uh, right where you are, just bow your head and, and close your eyes. What has God said to you through his word? And maybe even more importantly, what are you going to do about it? Have you denied the power and presence of sin in your own life? Do you abide in the gospel of Jesus? Or are there certain areas that that you would stray from that truth? Have you allowed deceivers to speak to your heart? And now your faith is just shaken. Does the Holy Spirit work in your life? Is the word important to you? Are you seeing victories? Maybe you need to make that prayer that we sang this morning, make my heart believe. Maybe you need to make that yours today. Lord, we invite you to come and we thank you for your living and active word. We thank you that that you speak to our hearts well beyond what the messenger says. And so, Lord, right now, we invite you to come. God, help us to be obedient to whatever it is that you're saying to us. Lord, help us not to deny the power, the presence, the practice of sin in our own lives. Lord, help us to confess it so that we might find forgiveness and restoration. Lord, help us to to camp out and, and live in the gospel each and every day, wherever we go. Lord, I pray that you would bring deceivers into the light. If we have allowed anyone to speak things that are anti-Christ in our lives, God, help us to see it. Give us spiritual eyes. Lord, we truly want to be in the light as you are in the light. Thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the opportunity, the freedom to come. Lord, we lift up those who are hurting. We lift up those who have carried burdens in here today. Uh, Those who won't be with us because of, of just different difficulties. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your word. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. And however you prefer, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of 1 John as we continue our series there. So we're coming to the end of a series we call 2020, and in it we have looked for the gospel from one cover to the next, looking for good spiritual vision. By the way, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you should, and so we recommend version. Uh, With it, you can have the Word of God at your fingertips. You can find plans to help it make sense. And you can even follow along with our screens. Uh, While you're here, just go to events and uh, look for First Baptist Potosi. Uh, So we started in 1 John last week. And uh, remember, this son of thunder is now an elder or a grandpa of thunder. And we know that he loves the believers that he writes to. Uh, Remember, John writes circular. He will mention something and then move on to something else and then uh, eventually circle back. And so um, coming back to some of the same topics. We saw one purpose of the book was found in chapter 1 verse 4. 
These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Go ahead and tell your neighbor he's talking to you. That word joy, it means filled to the brim. And John lets us know that we can find that kind of joy by finding life in Christ. He is the word of God that revealed a side of God the world had never seen before. Jesus ultimate display of God's love for us. Loving us when we were unlovable. Pursuing us when we rebelled. Accepting us when we repent. Jesus adds more layers to the God that we see in the Old Testament. And church, I believe that we have barely scratched the surface in who our God is. Uh, That's one thing that we may never fully come to terms with. And and church, that's the kind of God that I want to worship. That's the one true God that we sang about this morning. That's the kind of God that I want to live my life for. One that I can't fully understand because he's so big. Not living for the things of this world and riches that are fleeting, but the one true God. And church, there is only one. The question we asked last week, do you know him? Do, do you know him? First John five thirteen. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And we saw last week, John gives several pieces of evidence that we should find in our lives as believers, as followers of Christ. First John two twenty nine. Uh, he uses this phrase, born of God, several over and over to, uh, to point out the evidence. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. First uh, John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. It's a phrase that means uh, doesn't make a practice of sin because Jesus' seed is in us, it goes on to say. Now, Jesus calls us to live lives of purity in Matthew 5. So righteousness and purity, uh, they should be evident in our lives. We cannot say that we know Jesus, but then go on and, and blatantly sin without remorse, without repentance, without change. It doesn't work that way. So is your life characterized by righteousness? A question that we need to ask ourselves often. The second evidence is love. First uh, John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So we are instructed to love one another, but in 1 John two fifteen it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world, it's, it's a word defined as the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc. Which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce away from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. So, so what comes to mind when you hear that definition? Let me read it again. The whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce away from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. Can we just admit, often, there is a pull from the world to our hearts. Riches are alluring. More is enticing. Pleasure looks inviting. 
But the truth is, riches are hollow, more is never enough, and pleasures are fleeting. And one day, all of our busyness, all the time that we spent trying to pursue these things, it will amount to nothing. And admitting that our love sometimes shifts to these things is the first step towards repentance and forgiveness. We cannot change it on our own. Only Christ in us. That's why where our love lies is evidence of knowing Him. The third evidence was faith. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Uh, Just like we heard from Miss Lori last week. And we can testify ourselves. Faith brings victory. There is victory in Jesus. But Satan wants us to live as victims. Now, we can acknowledge there are some among us who have every right to be a victim because that's exactly what you are. But even in that, we don't have to have the mindset of a victim because Jesus wants you to have victory over whatever has hurt you. Those victories come in different ways. And the question we have to ask ourselves, do we experience victories in our faith Or do we constantly live defeated and beaten and overcome? These are tough questions that you can only answer for yourself. But they're important to ask and search, really search what God is saying to our hearts. Victory, faith, love, and the practice of righteousness are all evidence of knowing Him. In 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So today we look at all three letters of John through a different lens. Uh, As has been a pattern throughout the New Testament, and even today. (laughs) When Jesus gets a hold of people, they start to meet together, and a church is born, and it doesn't take much time for the enemy to come in and sow seeds of dissension among them. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he may want nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy what the gospel has built. And many times he uses internal people who trust in worldly wisdom to come in and try to undo what God is doing. This was another main purpose of John's letters. 1 John 2.26, he says this, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Now, if we back up just a few verses, we see that these things, John John uses a term in the preceding verses, antichrist. And this is the first time it's found in the word. It's actually, uh, 1 John and 2 John are the only place that antichrist is found. And if you're like me and you kind of question, is that really right? Uh, You can do a search, search antichrist and it won't come up anywhere but First John and Second John. Now, the Antichrist does appear in Revelation just by a different name. So, anti-against Christ. Strong's Concordance defines the Antichrist as the most pestilent adversary of Jesus, the Messiah. The epitome of everything Satan is. Everything Jesus is for, the Antichrist is against. He is the one who, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And as Christians, most of us would agree, the Antichrist will appear in the last days. And depending upon your views, uh, sometime in the timeline of when the world is coming to an end and Jesus returns, the Antichrist will appear. But according to John, uh, there's more to it. Antichrist is already here. 1 John 2, 18 says this. Little children, it is the last hour. 
And last hour is a phrase used to describe the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So church, we're there. It is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they may, might, might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So this brings up an interesting topic. Uh, apparently these antichrists were once a part of the church, but had since left it. So does verse 19 imply that those who leave the church are antichrists? Let me read it again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So does this imply that anybody who leaves a church is an antichrist? Well, not necessarily, no. Uh, Just because we come to church doesn't mean we're Christians, right? Um, If we're not Christians, then we are against Christ. But just because someone leaves a church doesn't mean that they aren't true believers. I know plenty of people who would love to be here today but aren't able to anymore for various reasons. And then you throw in a pandemic, and that just adds another dimension. It really does depend on why a a person leaves a church. If it's because they lost faith, well, then they never had faith to begin with. But if, if, if gathering together as a church family loses priority in someone's life, then something else has taken priority. That's not a good place to be. Many times quitting church is a reflection of the heart that is enamored by something else. Walking away from a very weak faith or a faith that was never there to begin with. Now there is a big difference between the two. A weak faith and a faith that was never there. There's a big difference. But we've got to evaluate our own hearts to see where we are. And then on the other side of that, we don't come to church legalistically because that's just as bad. And so John is using this term antichrist to describe someone who considered the things of God and Jesus but has since rejected them, now opposes the things of God. You can write that down. Anti-against Christ. Antichrist. Instead of of clinging uh, to the truth, they cling to something else as God. Look at verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I mean, church, we can think of of examples who claim to be Christians, but a short time later they're doing things completely opposite. Or, Or they just come right out and say, I am not a Christian. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And church, let me also say this. There, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. It's the parable of the four soils in the synoptic gospels. The seed is the word, the gospel. And some seed fell on the rocks, some seed fell on the road, some seed fell among the thorns. They didn't take root even though they appeared to at first. So it is possible that there are some among us who claim to know Jesus that actually don't. And according to John, time will tell. It's the same question we saw last week that we need to ask ourselves. Do we truly know Jesus? Because we can know. And when we know, we can rest assured that our Heavenly Father protects us. 
So it's kind of, kind of heavy stuff here. But listen, hear the grace. Our Heavenly Father protects us. In the verses that follow, John lists a couple of things that protect believers from Antichrist. Number one in your outline. Through the Holy Spirit, He offers protection. Uh, verse 20. Uh, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Anointing from the Holy One. Anointing from the Holy Spirit. Um, listen, that is not something that just Pentecostals get. That is not something that just pastors get. The moment that we trust Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within us. When we make that decision, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so you can go ahead and tell your neighbor, nobody can break that seal. Go ahead and tell them, because that's the truth. John 8, excuse me, John 10.28 says nothing can snatch us from his hand. And so the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives is evidence of truly knowing Jesus. He protects us from the enemy. So, so uh, think about the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and following. Uh, are, are you, is, is the Spirit bringing the Word of God to light and understanding in your heart? The Holy Spirit's activity in our lives can include those victories of faith that we've been talking about. John 16, 13 says uh, it, it includes guiding us to truth. And of course, John 14, 6 tells us Jesus is the truth. See, the Holy Spirit is not working in the lives of people who are opposed to Jesus and the truth. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. Verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. It continues there. Number, number two, God protects us through knowledge. Through knowledge. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, the, the verse goes on to say, the law, the word of God. So think about this. How well do you know the Word of God. How well do you know the Word of God? And then consider this question. How well do you know the lyrics of your favorite song or the lines of your favorite movie? Yeah, that, that's a dirty question, isn't it? <laughs> I, I know. Do we know the Word better than we did two years ago? Do we know it better than we did a few months ago? We've got so many other things memorized, but not the Word of God. How do we get to know it? Through a steady diet of it. The Holy Spirit works in us to understand the Word and to cause it to speak to our hearts, even after reading it hundreds of times. That's the power of the Word of God. That leads to number three. We're protected by truth. God protects us from Antichrist through truth. Um, uh, verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Okay, so really hard question. What's the opposite of truth? It's lies, yeah. Lies, deceit. See, the, the Holy Spirit helps us to separate the truth from the lies. A an alarm should go off in our hearts when something anti-Christ comes across our screens or across our ears. We should be able to hear that still, small voice of God over the lies of the enemy, especially if we have a steady diet of the Word of God. 
And let me just say this. Uh, there are many great resources out there for us to be listening to and taking in throughout the week. And I encourage you to do that. But there are also many false teachers. And a lot of people get duped by, by the message because it appeals to our flesh. But it has nothing to do with Jesus. And so if somebody's preaching Jesus as a means of personal gain um, and, and faith in him as a way to get whatever you want, that is false. That is deceiving. It's called the prosperity gospel, and it is not the gospel. I mean, church, we naturally like the idea of being prosperous, but Jesus does not promise it. So we, we shouldn't listen to someone because they make us feel good. Or because they're the most popular, we should listen to someone because the Holy Spirit within us is guiding them to speak truth into our lives. Go ahead and turn over to 2 John. 2 John. This is the shortest book in the Bible. And it's written to, it says, uh, the elect lady. Uh, and, and what that is, it's the church at Ephesus. So conservative scholars agree. The elect lady is the church. And so as the bride of Christ, that's us. So warning against deceivers is one of the main themes of this shortest book. And so John tells us what we should do with these deceivers. Uh, Verse 7, chapter 1. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves. That we do not lose the things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So church, we've, we've got to check our hearts. Have we let any deceivers into our homes by what we watch, by what we listen to, and thus we're sharing in these evil antichrist deeds. Notice that word abide, it's used twice there in verse 9. It says, whoever transgresses, transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Now abide there. It means to dwell. Uh, I picture it as somebody coming, moving in and, and taking up residence somewhere. And so we are to live in the doctrine of Jesus or the gospel. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from the holy God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. But paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. And that means we will live in heaven with God forever. Church, that's where we are to live. That's where we are to continue to trust. Even when this world continues to throw thing after thing after thing that would get our faith off track. That's where we're to live. Not adding anything to it, not taking anything away from it. Don't share in the evil deeds of those who would change you. And then turn over to 3 John. 3 John. Chapter 1 verse 8 says this. That we therefore ought to receive. He's talking about those who do abide and promote the true gospel. Receive them 
that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And so church, if you have any questions about, about who you're listening to, the preachers that you listen to throughout the week, I would love to try to give you, give you any thoughts that I can. As we begin to close, let's circle back to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Because here he gives us the solution for staying on the straight and narrow path that God has for us. Here it is. Walk in the light. How, how do we stay on the path? By walking in the light. Verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So God is light. There is no darkness in him. There is nothing in the dark for him. He is infinitely holy completely righteousness, absolutely morally pure. And darkness is the absence of light. And when people stray from obedience to God and step into darkness, we begin to act in ways that are not consistent with our new nature in Christ. And then we start avoiding the light altogether, even though we know He can still see us, even if our hearts are dark. When we don't allow God's light to shine in every area of our lives, rather than abiding in Christ, we abide in denial. We deny the power of sin. We sang it this morning. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was my sin that got him beat and a thorn of crowns placed on his head. It is my sin that separates me from the holy God. Sin breaks our fellowship with Him. It is sin that leads to this broken world that we now live in. It's because of sin that that families are so messed up. It's because of sin that we experience loss and death. And because of sin that we get so low. Sin deceives. Sin blinds. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin is a powerful thing and our world condones it. Our world encourages it. And so let us not deny the power of sin and the last blanks on your outline. Let us not deny the presence and practice of it either. The the presence, the power, the presence, the practice of sin in our own lives. If we say, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, I don't know about you, but I found that it's really easy to find sin in other people's lives. But it's something completely different to address it in my own. Verse 7 says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes?
right where you are. We like to answer two questions at least every Sunday at this time. What has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it? Have you denied the, the presence and power and practice of sin in your own life? Will you confess it? Do you abide in the truth of the gospel? Is that where you live and that's where you, you stay? That is your foundation. Have you allowed deceivers to seep into your heart and therefore they're getting you off track and you, you're questioning everything? Do you see the Holy Spirit's activity in your life? Is the Word of God important to you? These are all questions that we need to answer. Lord, we come to you once again. Thank you so much for your word. And Lord, that we can testify that it does speak to our hearts. This ancient book, it's still, it's, it's timeless, Lord. It speaks to our hearts today. We thank you for that. We thank you for the book of John. Uh, these, these three letters, Lord, and what they say to us. And so right now, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to meet us where we are, as you always do. Lord, we know that there are many burdens among us. And for that, we pray that you would give us comfort. Lord, there are likely people who don't know you sitting among us. And for that, Lord, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, if there are any deceivers among us, may, may you open our eyes. If we are being deceived, open our eyes that we would cling to the truth. Lord, we need you more than anything. God, we ask that you would help us to live like that. In the awesome and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.